Welcome to the Lady Palace Podcast. We are your hosts, Bella and Amanda. We're just a couple of gals who are on a mission to shake up the status quo around women's health. Come and delve into the depths with us as we start the conversations to empower, educate, create change and connect you back home into your lady house. Now it's up to every woman to know what's inside of the ovaries, the womb, every part of her vagina. They're different sizes, shapes and all colours. Life starts from a yoni, straight from our mothers. Fertility, new creation and the taboo. Let's start a conversation. Your yoni is your homie, so lift her up higher. Ladies say you're proud, I love my vagina. Woman, power, goddess, flower, lady, palace, clit, clit. Boom. I'm a woman and my body is a temple And my yoni is connected to my mental Alright, it's the Womb Tang Clan With Valerie Amanda Welcome Jason Parks uh, It's actually it's wonderful to have you here today To our season 2 of the Lady Palace podcast as this season is really dedicated to the men in our lives that are creating great change or agents of change and to be able to impart your wisdom to our community. Um, I've actually had the pleasure of meeting you, not actually in person, but I'm seeing you here today. (laughs) I've been working with you for over, what, the last few months really um, in an incredible mentorship program. Um, And so I've only really got to know you over the phone. So, and you have a wealth of wisdom. Uh, So I'd love you to share a little bit about your past and how you got into what you do. And then we'll talk about, I guess, the laws of nature and yes. Go from there. Go from there. Yeah. Thank you. It's lovely. It's lovely to have the invite. Um, I suppose, yeah, sort of to tell a little bit about what I do. So uh, I'm an energetic therapy specialist. I work on the very, very pointy end of energy therapies. So um, what that means, that that means, uh, well, probably the best way to describe it is I'll tell you how it started. So I started doing uh, meditation and study around spirituality and so forth back in the early 80s. And then when I was in my 90s, I decided to get, when I was in the 90s, I decided to get very, very serious about it. And I ended up um, being a Shaolin disciple. And I spent five years as a civil monk in, in uh, tradition, that's old on John Buddhist tradition, Chan Buddhist. Um, and through that, I learned a lot of different things about energy work and um, uh, I learned exorcism principles and and uh, used that one of the masters in the tradition was a feng shui master and we used to go around do a lot of work together so that he would do the feng shui side of it and i would do the clearing side of it and um and we sort of built on that i studied a lot of natural therapies over time but um kind of put it all together and and then years later about i don't know um, about nine years ago, I moved south and next door to me moved the person who's my mentor, who I think is my real mentor. And we both moved in. She moved from Queensland. I moved from Launceston and we moved to Margate 
in southern Tassie on exactly the same day. And um, and I was just very fortunate. Uh, she decided, took pity on me, <laughs> and decided that she would she would teach me, and um, she put it all together. So the uh, best group is her name, and she's just a and, and and is just an amazing practitioner. Um, because yeah, I guess very, very I guess how did you actually go from? I mean, because you came from being a butcher. Didn't yeah. you? So you started off as a butcher and then, I mean, that is just really in a very masculine dominated industry where you would be, so were you actually um, doing any culling of, of the, of the animals or were you solely just um, in the, in the shop? Because how do you really go from that into what was the, I guess, the spark, that catalyst of change that then took you into wanting to study um, being a Shaolin monk? Because it's such a huge contrast. Yeah, massive one. And um, I, I suppose, I suppose, the big difference is, is uh, like I, my my father really was a, a key factor. I suppose is that my father was an amazing observer. So um, he was able, and particularly in nature, he would sit there and look at things in nature. He had a trout farm and um, yeah. at one point. And in that trout farm, it came about because he was watching this little piece of a creek and he said, it's amazing. This little bit of this creek never gets algae in it. It never gets stagnant. It never gets any of those things. The water is pristine. And he just looked at it forever. And eventually he figured it out that it was the, the way the stones were settled and the patterns in which the water came, flowed down, made it a perfect natural filtration system for the groundwater. So he, he built a fish farm below it and we never had any disease. We never had any of those problems. Um, it was quite incredible. And so he was an amazing observer of things like that. And so I suppose when I was growing up, it was a lot of his influence about looking at different things. Now, growing up in the country in that, you know, you do a lot of shooting, you do a lot of that. I used to do all that sort of stuff when I was doing martial arts and all that. So I was a fair meathead, really, <laughs> and uh, hillbilly. And, um, but I did have this other, I did have this other side of it that I, that I wanted to explore, but I couldn't find anything. And I was working in an abattoir and, um, I was working in abattoirs and I remember, because dangerous, very dangerous work and very negative environment. Yes. And I remember there was this one guy that everybody had some hideous scar and there was one guy there who didn't. But I, but I realised he was a slaughterman. So every time I saw him, he'd just come off the floor. So he was always covered in blood. And one day I saw him done up and I realised that one side of his face was a scar. Oh. And when I saw that, it was just like, this is not. This is not the way forward. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to end up with one of those. Forward. So yeah, and then I made the decision that I, I wanted to study natural therapies, and I made the decision I wanted to do that. And then about two weeks later, on the way the universe works, um, the uh, we got called in for lunch, and they said, right, come up for lunch. Everyone's got to go there. And we went up, and they said, right, uh, it's gone into receivership. You're all unemployed. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So it was like, well, 
<laughs> that's the end of that. I settled sure. that one. That was an uh, easy conversation. Up natural therapy. So, yeah, I did a bit of that and then went further and I had a similar problem in that I, I couldn't get to the bottom of things. I kept look, talking to people and everybody had their philosophies, but they all were sort of no one wanted to go any deeper. And uh, I ended up, I ended up deciding I was going to go to China, uh-huh. and uh, and I happened to meet the teachers, and and then going through that process, I had fourteen months of interviews, and wow. after the interviews, then I started doing theory for two years, and um, and then they started to teach me some physical stuff, and then I went to China for a couple of months for very intensive training in um, uh, with the, the tradition over there. Mm-hmm. And assessment, really, and that was that was a huge amount of training. So I I came back just physically. I came back. Um, I had fourteen vertebrae out. <laughs> I dislocated a hip. I dislocated a shoulder. Yeah. Um, that that sort of thing. And that was just the physical part of it. But but I learned a lot of interesting things. I met a lot of interesting people. Um, and how um, did you sit in that? I guess in when you when you've got 13, 14 vertebrae out of alignment, um, and you know, and a hip. How do you? How are you able to sit through that intensity? At the time, that was just what you were doing. Right. It was like that was just that was what it cost. What it cost to go from being a hillbilly in the middle of nowhere. To being training training with um, you know Shaolin monks, and I guess so, that's the true like power of the mind, isn't it? The mind over yeah. over the pain you experience in the body, or what we then start to, I guess, would you call that even just to normalize? Yeah, pretty much. You what? just you just that's that's exactly it. You make it normal, don't you? You just go, well, I'm here. I need to get this done, and I need to keep going, and you just. You get going. And you're probably literally sitting in the discomfort both physically but also then emotionally and spiritually because you're probably going through a whole reawakening, you know, reality shift. Everything that you've known is just completely being, you know, transformed or having, you know, different people around you and being exposed to a different culture and way of life. You're then probably sitting in that discomfort not just physically and, you know, having injuries, but then also that, okay, the world that I've known it, my like comfort zone has been completely, you know, blown out and I'm completely sitting outside of that. So it's like that discomfort, but then that's probably, you know, the best way to expose yourself to a completely new, you know, philosophy or a different way of life is when you are in that discomfort. Um, which, you know, is how we all all learn and grow and expand. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And it's dissatisfaction. Mm. All change comes from dissatisfaction. That's the fuel. Mm. And is that if we're comfortable, we don't change anything. It's that we're hardwired in our DNA to not do that, you know. So it's, it's like we need that dissatisfaction and it's, it's sort of a, it's a funny thing culturally, because in the cultural paradigm, it's anything that makes us uncomfortable is we're supposed to avoid that, mm-hmm. and it's it's seen as being a weakness. 
Whereas, um, like Amanda, you know, through the mentoring work, it's like dissatisfaction. It's like, you know, I'm, this is, I'm hating this bit. That's awesome. That's, (laughs) that's what we're looking for. Cause that's the bit where the change is going to happen. So it's not going to happen where you're happy. Mm. So that's not, that's not how your life changes. You have to find dissatisfaction, but it has to be, you have to approach it intelligently. You know, you've got to be able to work with it as a resource so that you can say, it's like, okay, I have, I have this, this building of, I'm not happy where I am and I need to be able to move. So what we tend to do is we, we tend to get into this funny cycle where, and it has to do, it's sort of, we're going to talk a little bit later about a bit of universal law and, um, but it's got to do with like the pendulum swing of how energy moves. So I get, I'm comfortable and I'm blissfully ignorant and that's me actually giving energy. And then what happens is I receive a dissatisfaction because I'm, I'm, my spirit, as it starts to expand and my consciousness expands, I start to experience this idea that there's more, that maybe there's more to, to me of what I can be. And that continues to grind away at us. And what we tend to do is we start to look at and say, well, I wonder what that could be. And then we get to a point where we can take responsibility for it. And if we don't, what we do is we just loop back down into blissful ignorance. And then we just continue the cycle and it just becomes this complete circuit that goes round and round and round. People can do it their entire life. So yeah, we're sort of looking for that, that doorway because the moment we say there's the point where I can make a decision, that's when we start to get into our own power. So it must be fascinating work as well. Like the, also the study of like human consciousness and human will, like how we can differentiate ourselves with, other human beings just purely off, like you were saying, like that one decisive moment of do I take that leap of faith and do I, you know, go into something unfamiliar or do I try and stay in this comfort zone? Like I think that differentiates, you know, so many people in a completely different walk of life that you would have in those snapshot moments of do I go and do this and like that, um, understanding of like human will and how we can actually enact change through that. Um, and I think it's, you know, still being studied and people I think are still, you know, probably going between the two and have a balance of the two. But I find that fascinating with human beings how, and I guess it just, they would have to be pretty dissatisfied. Well, happy to sit in it, right? I mean, how how many people are just happy to sit in their shit, really? Yeah. 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 Well, all of us. Mm. Until we're not. Until we're not. That's (laughs) till we're not. Until it stinks too much. That's what I was just thinking that. Yeah. That's all it is. And and it's it's actually that simple. Mm. It, it is it is literally that simple and, and i suppose it's we like, complicate oh, 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 things. i was just about to say do you reckon we, we just complicate we it too definitely much complicate things i think very much as humans we yeah. overthink things too much yeah. yeah and we want it to feel yeah. safe and comfortable before taking that leap but it's never going to necessarily be that way yes and mm. then you miss out, mm. no. you miss out well on it's, the it's a little bit like well it's like the work the work that that you two do is like when's a good time to have a baby? Mm. Yeah, it's there's a, never, never really a 
there's never really a good time, is there? There's always going to be a reason why now's not a good time. Mm, but yes. at the end of the day, it's like, it's time. It's time. So, it's time. And sometimes yeah. that's also the, like, other things at plan and it's sometimes it's actually not within our control and maybe there is, like, a greater plan or, you know, it's actually the soul deciding when they want to incarnate. It might not, you know, have a lot to do with us. Uh, but it's sort of up to those mysterious energies. The great play. mysteries, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's simple, simple but not easy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? I guess it's like anything, it requires practice and you would know that through your dedication um, to your craft as being a Shaolin monk um, and then having to be in that practice and then and also to the discipline because I think, you know, so many of us lack discipline um, and when things get too hard, it's like, oh, it's just easy to walk away from that. But I think it's at that moment where you're at the precipice, that's when you have your biggest breakthroughs, isn't it? Absolutely. And discipline's a funny thing because um, I suppose, uh, like, if you're in the trade, <laughs> like being, being a disciple and you're in the discipline trade, it, it's um, it's funny because the word discipline, like, we, we hear the word disciple and we hear the word discipline, we go, oh, it's the same root word, but it's the wrong order. A di- discipline means to act in a disciple-like fashion. That's that's where it comes from. So it's like a disciple is a person who has committed themselves to something bigger than themselves and have decided to just keep going and they they make their life fit around it. And that's ultimately what discipleship is in anything. And we've got a sort of um, there's a term that my my lovely wife Karen um, introduced me to this wonderful concept called uh, conscientious discipleship and love it and it's it's an amazing concept and, and it's that and it's that like we we can't be going to the teacher all the time expecting that they're going to save us mm. we need to be able to go and see a, a teacher or an authority of any sort with an expectation of they're working with us mm. and that we have that we we have control in the circumstance we may choose to put it aside for certain bits, but at the end of the day, we have control. We have the ability to say yes or no and the ability to accept or not accept. And, um, and a big part of that is, is conscientious discipleship is where you say, I actually get to decide how I'm going to do my spiritual practice, how I'm going to connect with the divine. And it, there's a burden of responsibility um, because it's lovely to be able to hand it over to an organisation or a teacher or guru or something Mm. and just say, you know, they have responsibility for what happens in my life. But in the core of it, and I think that was the thing that I, when I came back from China, that was the big thing that I met that I really saw was these people on the outside weren't particularly impressive in many ways. They looked like normal people. Mm -hmm. But it was the moment that you hit what was inside them (laughs) That was terrifying Mm. because it was rock solid and it wasn't necessarily discipline. It was they had decided that they were going to find out what the truth of their own nature was. And once, once they've done that, you don't, it doesn't flex. 
it's flexible and it's fluid, but it's, it's because it's really, it's the spirit. It's coming directly from source. So it's, it's not a, um, it has no beginning. It has no end. It's not created. You know, it's not destroyed. It is an absolutely unchanging universal principle. And when you hit that, it said everything that's not you sees that and is terrified. And you see, <laughs> you see that in them because you know you're that too, but you aren't admitting it. <laughs> so and that's, yeah, that's conscientious discipleship, you know. It's really like, is, what, it? if, what, if, what if I've made a decision that I would admit it? I love that. What would that mean? So, it's profound so, really, yeah. isn't it, when you put it like that? I love that. Um, and then how have you, like after you spent your time in China and, you know, through the studies and the work that you've done, how then did you make the decision to come back to Tasmania and what was, I guess, the principles that you like held on to and wanted to embed into your daily life but also coming back into a modern world and a modern existence where you know we do experience all the different highs and lows and you're not you know still back in a you know temple or living a certain lifestyle that might you know feel uh not easy but you know you're not not the renunciate like you yeah, know they say, you're back in traffic the- and you're like <laughs> fuck you <laughs> no you're like hang on wait <laughs> no <laughs> Like, how then do you integrate that back into modern life? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, there's an answer for it. (laughs) There's an answer. They they call it householder practice. That tradition's viewpoint was um, they they didn't beg, which is uncommon for Buddhist orders. Most people think about Buddhist monks. They think about Ayur monks walking around with an arms bowl and collecting from the community and doing all those sorts of things. And there were avenues within within the tradition for, like, the community donations and so forth. But the fundamental ethic of, of that tradition, that's old on tradition, was um, no work, no food. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was how they describe it. Because it – and it was interesting because I look at it now that I'm not there – in, in that sort of environment or within that culture anymore, which I'll get to in a minute, <laughs> um, is it's a uh, it deals with the thing in spirituality. Like one of the big problems of the, the ego is that it wants, or the pain body, it wants us to think that a it's too hard, or if that doesn't work, it'll swing the pendulum to say it's too easy. And part of the too easy is um, you can get something for nothing. And including enlightenment, right? Um, so the idea that if you donate to a temple, then you're somehow going to become more enlightened, and said that well you will, but you'll be enlightened that spending all that money is not going to work. <laughs> not going to get you there. So yeah, <laughs> that's what you paid for. So. Um, you know, and they look at it from the perspective of like, oh, well, that was where the person was at. You know, mm. <laughs> that's, that's the lesson they needed to learn. But yes, true. Yeah. yeah, but it's um, but householder practice is uh, is different. And, and uh, I was a civil monk, so what a civil monk was was um, you don't have as many vows as an ascetic monk, and you don't have on one level the luxury of being in the monastery. 
They said, your job is much like, um, kind of like a minister. You're expected to be in the community. Mm. You know, you're expected to work. So my work was at that time, um, I was working for the tradition of Australia. So I did, you know, I was teaching Qigong. I was uh, helping to run services. I was um, uh, working with disciples and doing sort of religious counselling aspects of it and um, and uh, also doing a lot of the uh, martial arts side of it. I was doing that as well. And, um, and that was the work that I did. But it kept me in the community because what happens is... Um, a monastery, and it's not take like it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a difference in the fact that when you turn around and you say, um, "Okay, like Gong goes, oh, time to get up. Gong goes, time to meditate. Gong goes, time for breakfast. Gong goes, time to go and read sutras. Gong goes, time to sweep the yard." He said, "So much decision making is taken away, so that you can just stay in that lovely space." mentally he said but when you go all right i need to meditate but mm. kids are at home because they're sick or i've got to go to work now or you know mm. all of those things so that's householder practice and the skills that you need to do householder practice are different skills to the ones you need to do ascetic practice um a lot of problems that people struggle with where i encountered as energetic therapists with people is where they're struggling with their practice is that they're handed spiritual tools from monastic situations mm. and told just do it just do it in your life so you need to meditate a couple of hours a day well that's lovely but if you've got kids you know that's not real yeah how There's is nothing that about that that's real mm. yeah if you've got your own business that's not real mm. you know because you have to adapt to the culture that you're in so and i think that's my, where it goes so. that's where i guess you know, so many of the, I mean, not that the spiritual practices go wrong, but I think it's almost like when you are handed down that information is that it's, it's like told in a way that you have to do this. And so when you step outside of doing that, it's like, then that starts to create all the, like, I feel guilty because I'm actually not in two hours of my practice. Uh, whereas like, you know, I just love the term that you use for householder because it is, it's so practical and it's such a, a word for the modern times that we're in of like, you know what, if you've got five minutes, just dive in for a five minute meditation practice because you're still showing up, you're in your practice. Um, and then you can, you know, set about the rest of your day, but for so many of these practices, it was even, um, when I'd gone away and done Vipassana of coming back and it was having to do like an hour's practice every day. And you get to the point where it's it, it's like you don't want to show up because it's exhaustion and it's just it feels as though for me personally at that time it wasn't practical. It just wasn't practical for where I was in my, in my life at that time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I suppose a lot of the argument is, is the idea that um, – you know, well, you need to change your life. But that's an Eastern concept. That's not a Western concept. You know, because in the East, you can turn around and do that. You can turn around and go, I'm joining a monastery. Mm. And all the immediate family will then go, oh, well, we have responsibility for your children and, and for your husband or your wife or your, you know, and they all move together because you're doing, you're doing that work. 
said, but in the West, it's just like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? It's not how it works. So you still got to pay bills. That's exactly right. Where's your family going to live when uh, you know when you stop paying the rent? You know, paying your mortgage. That's not, and it's not responsible. It's not Mm. being responsible in spirituality Mm. because Mm. spirituality is. um, I think that it's a it's a it's a wonderful tool, wonderful servant, and a hideous master. And if if you let that dynamic change then what happens is you will start adapting your life in all the wrong ways mm-hmm. around all the wrong bits of, of spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the culture. And I suppose that's like, like I'm not connected within those traditions anymore. And the reason is because this is the other side of spirituality is that um, there are two things going on. There is the genuine spiritual practice and then there is the cultural practice of the spiritual group. And often they're at odds. It's like, um, uh, I'm just, I guess it was, we, we say, well, we say, we, you know, we say like in, you know, when it comes to spiritual work, right, it's, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince, right? <laughs> and that's the reality. And, but they don't tell you that a lot of the frogs that you have to kiss are actually dirty great toads dressed up as frogs telling they're the princes. Mm. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. the problem. That's it because it's yeah. almost like sometimes too, isn't it, those people that are in that position of power or whatever you want to call it, there's so much in ego. It's like they, it's that they forget, they step away from that innate nature of being and, and are driven by by the power and the ego, and I think that's even what we're seeing in these current times, isn't it? Is that's mm. why we're such on an axis. The world is on its axis because that's where all the power play is. Mm. So much division, isn't it? So yeah. it's, it's it's well, it's a it's a, a group dynamic. You you can't have an us unless you have a them. Mm. And that's like the, the pendulum there, right there, isn't it? Pendulum right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there it is. Correspondent, and it's and it's perfect it's a perfect model because you can justify anything you can um and i've certainly been in i've been in that headspace where you see people walk away from the practice and there's the assumption that they couldn't hack it and not the assumption that it was like they went well this is not going where it needs to go Mm. and the thought doesn't occur to you when you're in it so and that was that that's that conscientious discipleship it's like the idea that it's like I should turn up. I should turn up and talk to a spiritual teacher the same way as I would talk to a plumber, the same way I would mm. talk to a doctor. It said, I don't, "I'm not here. I'm not here. It's not. A, it's not a fan based thing. Mm. You know, it's not this idea. Where I'm turning up. I'm like, oh my god, because that was how I approached it. It was like, oh my god, I'm meeting these teachers. Mm. It was like, hey, and they purposely went out of their way to be disappointing." You know, I look back at it because they could see it a mile off. They're just like this guy starstruck. It's like, no, no, we're just yeah. gonna we're gonna mess it up. You found um, And they did. They would mess it up constantly. And you'd ask questions. It's like, oh, you know, uh, what, like why is the altar set up this way? And they say, why? And it's like, no, I'm asking you. And they're like, no, well, why do you want to know? 
It's like, well, I think I should know. Well, why do you think that? And it's like, oh, shit, it's constantly, <laughs> constantly back at me. You know, no matter what I throw, they throw it back at me. And until you get to the point where you stop, you stop throwing it out. Mm. And then they decide, then suddenly it's like, hey, do you know if you do this, this would be a lot easier for you. Mm. And it's like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> right, now it's going in the right direction. Which and, is the greatest gift of coming classical. home, isn't it, right? The, uh, which is the Tao, the return to nature. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's constant. And, um, it really is. And you see it, like with energetic therapies, you see it. Mm. And it's one of the beautiful things about it um, is that you can literally see it. It's that it's not, it's not a theory, you know. Mm. It's not a theory that we have a soul. It's not a theory that there's a spirit connected to the divine. It's right there. You said mm. you can see it in people. Mm. You can see where it comes down, where it joins, how it connects, how the system comes together, mm. you know, and um, you can see a lot of other things there mm. that you don't necessarily want to see. So mm. it's, that's the other part of it as well, you know, is that it's, it's, um, it's the other side of spirituality, which is that it's not all rainbows and unicorns and, you know, the idea that I'm going to turn up for a blissful experience. It's like, actually, it's hard work. The shadow. It's the shadow. It the is shadow. Hard. It's a complete yeah. opposite. Yeah. And that's the point sometimes of it, like the working through, that's the nitty-gritty. Like you're not just going to be walking on sunshine and rainbows and, you know, it all just becomes an easy path. It, I'm pulling out rainbows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sometimes, and I've even had this, even like, you know, the past few years and things, thinking, God, I wish I was just, like, not aware. (laughs) Sometimes it would be so much easier to not see things a certain way and to, you know, not be super curious. Like, sometimes it would just be so easy to just be, like, oh, well, on my merry way, like, not thinking about the depth of things. Um, But that's obviously not an existence that we want. but, no, it is. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, we said about the blissful ignorance before yeah. dissatisfaction. Yes. Word for word, that's that's exactly yeah. you know, that, what you've said there is exactly spot on of how we say it to ourselves all the time. Mm. Yep. That's and exactly what we do until it um, gets to that point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which I you get, and it. that's and that was one of the things that I we had learnt studying the um, Vedic meditation was. Destruction, maintenance, and creation. And it's like when we're in that, just in that maintenance and everything's starting to feel just really cushy, it's like, no, no. Destruction. Let's let's bring in a bit of destruction. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Let's create a bit of a change. Let's like elevate you up a little bit more. Mm. Um, But at the time, I don't think we actually even notice that. It's just like, oh, this destruction, here we go again. Yeah. I think it's the way that we perceive things as well, isn't it? Um, Mm. Well, it's like what um, our teacher says about the open-eyed experience. Like we can, you know, learn all this theory and sitting in the phase of knowing and um, or, you know, wanting to know and then it's not until you get into that open-eyed experience of that, okay, well, this is daily life with a practice. Um, and how that kind of evolves as a householder. Yeah. As you were saying, as right? a householder. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 
it's um, a great thing. It's yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it's a funny it's a funny thing. It's like a, there's so many different. I remember I used to be very blunt. Um, I mean, I'm still I'm still blunt. Right. <laughs> but before I was just very blunt as a spiritual teacher, and um, and partially. No, nah, I was going to deflect, but I won't. It's, it's like, no, nah, I was just, I was just blind. <laughs> just say <laughs> it. You got to say it. This no holds bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's the tradition that's famous for things like um, people would come up and say, you know, a, a student would come up to a master and say, and this is a, a documented historical case, right? A student went up to a master and just said, "I understand, nothing is real," and the master smashed him in the face. <laughs> And then as he's laying on the ground, he looks at him and he said, so what hurts him? <laughs> and, and, you know, so yeah. it's, it's that, that kind of work. So, but I remember I had a disciple um, back when I was a civil monk. I remember this poor fellow and I, I often think about it. I think, oh, it, it was the right thing to do, but it, it would have been awful to be on the receiving end of it. And he... Um, I used to ask him for month in and month out about his meditations. Like, how's it all going? Oh, it's great. I'm so calm. I'm so blissful. I feel great. So, oh, okay, no worries. Go on, go on, go on. And this went on for a long time. And then one night, about midnight, I get a phone call and he's in a terrible state on the phone. It's like everything's fallen to pieces. And I said to him, thank God. I said, I thought I was going to starve to death before you actually had real practice. So, <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Thanks for bringing the realness to that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's how it has to be. It really does. There's really, yeah, there's sort of like there's three kind of stages to meditation. Mm -hmm. And the first is really a relaxation and a letting go of stress. And that feels great, you know. But you can get that in a warm bath. You can get that with your whale song and your aromatherapy. And you can get all of those things. It'll, mm -hmm. It'll take you to that stage. But then once you've been there a little bit, then the second stage emerges and that's where you're now capable of dealing with the shadow. And it starts to bring up the restrictions and you're now looking at them. And of course, it looks like everything's going backwards, but it's not, you're going forward, you've hit the ceiling. So those restrictions are the ceiling and you've gone up high enough to hit the ceiling. And if you can work through them, then what happens is you get to the other side of it. And on the other side of it's genuine meditation mm. where you are in direct connection with yourself in your own energy body and through the energy body into yourself as a soul and a soul as a spirit and through spirit to source. Mm. And it's uh, it's fast. And I know, Amanda, we've talked about this like, like process-wise. Yes. It's like you can spend decades learning how to connect the source or you can just do it now. Mm. And... And it is literally like that. They said at the speed of thought, you just wham, you're there. Mm. And it's it's good, and that knocks knocks off 20 years practice. <laughs> but um, but the thing about it is, it, it it then creates the next ceiling because you go, wow, I can do that. Now what? Mm. And and that was the thing. And a lot of a lot of things that are missed, I think, in spiritual practice. I always think about Buddhism's great. They are great examples. Um, Sakyamuni Buddha became the Buddha, and then all of the story started. And people kind of missed that in their own practice. They go, well, what? he became enlightened, yeah. And then he got up and had to get on with his life. <laughs> and 
as part of that, he ended up founding this philosophical practice. And it went on. And part of that, there's like four times, I think, his disciples tried to assassinate him. And, um, and all of these things, because he kept saying things are uncomfortable. <laughs> People are saying, we want to do it. Like one time, and you find this funny, is that one time there was an attempted assassination of him due to the fact that his followers wanted to enforce vegetarianism. And he didn't want it to be enforced. He said it shouldn't be. You should come to it in your own time. Went, oh, enough of that. <laughs> so they tried to kill him. And there's a famous story about how they tried to kill him. That's great. And, yeah, the irony. And to, but that's, that's it, isn't it? Mm. That's, the, that's the discipleship. So they said, we're, we're all those people. But if we, if we look into it and we say, well, you know, spiritual practice, he said, it starts with realisation, it starts with opening of consciousness. Mm. But then you've got to do something, mm. you know, otherwise you're still sitting under that tree or yes. you're sitting in your cave and you're, you're doing all those things. So the moment you then return to the marketplace, as they say, and you walk into the world, then you're challenged. And mm. spiritual practice under pressure is a completely different skill set to spiritual practice without pressure. Totally. And... Yeah, and that's an interesting that's an interesting mm. set of skills. Especially in relationships and in dynamics, you know, I feel like that's where we're completely tested to the nth degree. Like, especially if the other person and not necessarily romantic, it could be, you know, familial or, you know, a friendship. Um, if we even get like a spiritual ego of like, oh, well, I meditate and I, you know, have a practice and you don't, so therefore I know and like I'm more oh, I'm not gonna, than you. Yeah, I'm not going to explain it to you. You just won't get it. <laughs> um, it can also be a touch of that, like a point of that in the moment of like, hang on, this is why I'm doing this to try and shed the ego or yes. separate from the ego. Um, but, yeah, I always find that quite funny when you because I feel like that's quite prevalent now as well well I think it's like it's spirituality has I think it's taken on a completely different mm. well it, you it's know, a buzzword it is a it it's is a buzzword, buzzword. Yeah. enlightenment I don't think yeah I would never say I'm enlightened <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more it is like you said it's a very much a lived experience of turning up every day and being in the practice, but then mm. how that open eye experience is on a daily basis with the challenges of running a business and being in a relationship and mm. parenthood and whatever else that brings for people, whether, you know, you're finishing school and the challenges that that brings. Um, mm. But I think mm. in that practice, it definitely, it, like you said, it creates that little awakening or awareness of consciousness, doesn't it, of like, okay, where do I maybe need to pivot next? or yeah. And what's next? Exactly mm. right. What's mm. next? Mm. So it, it, the, it's the, that's the big question. And it's, um, I suppose it's, it's that thing. It's, it's funny because it's actually technically it's, a, it's an energetic illness that um, in China they refer to it as monk's disease. But it's known elsewhere as Kundalini psychosis or Kundalini syndrome. And it's caused by um, when there's not enough grounding and all the energy is going up and the vibration is going up, it pushes too much 
kundalini energy up through the centers that are not prepared to receive it. And when that happens, it has these predictable stages. And the, the first predictable stage is that spiritual arrogance. It's that you, you become unrealistically proud of your own accomplishments. Mm. And that's the first symptom of the disease. So you look at it, you go, right. And I've seen like, that you need a punch in the face there, mate. <laughs> that's right. So, Keep it real. Yeah. It's like, we've got to get you grounded. You know, got to get you grounded. Because yeah. if it continues, it, it becomes quite serious. Mm. And um, like, it, it, like lethally serious. It said it will cause, it'll keep going and blowing out the chakras as it goes. Wow. And as it keeps going, it picks up pressure. So by the time it's getting up around here, it does one or two things. It, it either A um, or and, well, it does A, B or A and B. So it will fragment your consciousness. So you will go into psychosis and you can end up with that as a permanent condition. Um, or the other thing that it does is that it puts your blood pressure so far through the roof that you have a stroke and you die. And wow. that's brought about because people aren't taught how to ground properly. Mm. And it's that simple. And it is, um, it is in certain so right. traditions the leading cause of death of monks. Wow. So, yeah, it's fascinating. And that's why they call it monks' disease because it's like, oh, yeah, that's what kills monks. Wow. Were you ever taught a grounding practice or was that mainly through like a martial arts that you were taught a grounding practice? It's a really good question. Uh, I would have to say no. Mm. Um, there was like a, like with Qigong elements where you shut everything down. Mm -hmm. um, but even so, the amount of horsepower that you're generating because of the consistent discipline meditation work. Mm. They said that that's not going to cut it. That's like that's like being in a car and getting it into fourth gear and you're going 110 k's an hour and you've got a go-kart stick on the side of the car that you're going to pull up as a brake. Yeah. It's not, it just will not work. So, no, you have to really learn. And there's a lot of things that are assumptions and it's actually – one of the things that I learned a lot about is because I got it. Yeah. And actually, you can see it. You can see it in my face that the more I talk about spirituality, you see that my face gets redder. Mm. And that's just because as I start to, the frequency increases, what happens is blood pressure lifts. The energy goes high. So, yeah. And even though I've got pretty well managed, I still have to look after it because it nearly, it nearly killed me um, four times. Whoa. And I used to fall on the ground screaming like my head was going to split open. So it was horrendous. And, it, and it was because part of the way I was taught Qigong was wrong. And, uh, and it was, uh, but it had been wrong in that tradition because it was interesting. My teacher, uh, I had that. I went back to my teachers and saying, this is what's happening. And they're like, don't worry, just keep practicing, it'll change. Right? That person had multiple strokes. Said, um, his teacher had multiple strokes. His teacher's brother had multiple strokes. The other teacher on the other side, he'd had multiple strokes. And there was one of them where, because I was talking to a friend of mine who was a TCM practitioner and uh, who was another uh, disciple with, with me. And we were talking about one day and he said, and I said, this one guy is the only guy I know who didn't have that problem. And he said, oh, no, I was staying with him and I was helping him mix up his herbs and they're like rocket fuel um, blood pressure hurts, you know. <laughs> he he said the only reason he hasn't got it is because he's on he's on the super duper stuff, and it's like wow. 
And, and it's a simple thing. It was small heaven circle, the way you do the small heavenly circulation or microcosmic orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way in which that they, they did it was that you were taught to bring it in through the front on the inhalation, exhale up the back, mm-hmm. which meant that the power side of the breath would push up. So you're constantly pushing it up, pushing it up, pushing it up. So, but then later I studied with other Qigong masters and, and uh, one in particular, a gentleman in Sydney by the name of Simon Blow, um, did a little bit of work with, and he was great. And he worked in, um, done a bit of work in a Qigong hospital that had a ward devoted to monk's disease. Oh. And, uh, and we got to have a wonderful conversation about various aspects. And in that, it allowed me to sort of clarify a lot more about it. And I learned some wonderful things from him about how it worked. And one of them was like, I learned the Taoist, not Buddhist way of doing the microcosmic orbit. And it's the opposite. It runs the same way, but you exhale to push it down, which increases the grounding. And then you inhale and you let the energy lift as if you were gently like a breeze lifting a leaf. So it's very subtle to go up and then strong to go down. And what it does is it allows it to move a lot freer without pushing this sense of pushing up through the the chakras. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So So fascinating, isn't it, to think that, you know, even with the knowledge that's passed down, right, so we just become these disciples of, like, information's just passed down and Mm. that, that... monk's disease is just because right Mm. but it's actually because of a particular type of technique but over those years of even being in meditation no it's like it hasn't come through that you need to ground which i find i find fascinating shift up the breath yeah it's different different techniques Mm. and that's and that, and that information just keeps getting passed down lineage after lineage after lineage. Um, yeah. And it's not until sometimes, like you said, isn't it, that you step away that you're like, actually, there needs to be, I need to bring in something new that's different to this practice um, that will change it up again. Exactly right. And uh, a lot of it, um, it's a lot of why Qigong is practiced in China for monks. They have meditation and then they have Qigong. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the qigong is because it provides the grounding. Mm. Um, the the main way to ground it, um, in truth, is to activate the kidney belt channel. Mm. So the that's the best way to do it. Yeah, mm. so. because it's not just about. And I think so. In the West, we just think grounding is okay. I'm just going to take my shoes off, and I'm just going to go and walk my feet on the earth. And in that connection of my feet, kidney one. Um, onto the earth, Gong Yuan, I think it is, isn't it? It's the water point. In that, it's like I'm connected. I'm actually yeah. grounding, but that's not really grounding, is it? That's earthing? Yeah, it, well, yeah, very much. But it's kind of like it's sort of percentages, isn't it? It's like it is grounding, but if you're, if you're going up at 100% and you're grounding at 5%, <laughs> it's mm. not going to work, you know. <laughs> Yes. It's, uh, yeah, it's the big problem. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you, it, and paradoxically, when you look at the energy, like uh, when you're doing therapy work and you look at people's energy, 
the, the ability for you to ground, the better you can ground, the safer the soul is in allowing the spirit to bring that energy in. Mm. So you can only go up as high as you can go down. Mm. In truth. So really, we should be really focusing mm. on grounding work. Yes. Everybody's focused on going up. And it's like, no, you should be focused on grounding. Because, and, sorry. Yeah. And, no. Well, no, I was going to say, because that's also, we're so, if we're constantly focused on ascension and then we're opening, um, you know, ourselves up to the like space and air elements, we're also then inviting much more susceptibility to other entities and other spirits and other people's energies mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the grounding which then can yeah. completely throw us off and it's not necessarily our energy doing the work. Like it could be something else. Yeah, um, exactly right. Come in. Yeah. And it's – and Vata. Just so Vata. Heads yeah. in the cloud. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we'd done a podcast earlier in the um, with Asha Packerman and um, – and he was saying it was like, you know, well, that's what it was about, the lockdown. Like mm. everyone was focused on, you know, ascending where it was actually an opportunity for us to come back and to descend mm. into into the shadow, to come back into that yin aspect mm. to go down. But yeah. we completely missed the memo. Everyone's back up again. Yeah. That's right. It was the, it, it was on one level, wasn't it, like the naughty corner for human consciousness? It was, <laughs> it was like you need to go to your room and stay there until you figure out your life purpose. So, yeah, so it was funny. We all, we all got sent there. Yeah. But, <laughs> okay. But it, it's so interesting just just with that, like uh, in China where they, like in Wuhan, where they closed the factory, they said they had blue sky. So they haven't had blue sky in like two, three generations. And now they've seen it. And even though they opened the factories and it went away again, they've seen it. Mm. And you can't, what's been seen cannot be unseen, Mm. which is the principle of enlightenment, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We want more of that. (laughs) Totally. Oh, wow. Mm. Now, Jason, are you limited? Have you got to be on another call? Um, No, I've got got a bit more time if you like. What would you like? Should we go into... Where should we lead on to from here? Should we, t- would, should we talk about the dichotomy of the masculine or feminine or just give people, I guess, maybe a beautiful way of like how to live within the laws of nature and what those laws are if we've got time? Yeah, mm. let's do that. That would be lovely. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So I suppose natural law or universal law is, is an interesting subject. Um, it's one of these paradoxes where... Um, if you look on it, like you can go on YouTube and you can find a million clips um, about universal law. And people will talk about it, it's like the law of attraction. I mean, that's about 99% of the clips, right? Yes. <laughs> but they're like law of attraction and um, trans- transmutation, law of mentalism, law of gender, law of divine timing, those sorts of things. Um, and they're one aspect of universal law. And so there's a lot of different kinds of laws because law in itself means that it is an unchanging and repeatable process. So um, we have a law of gravity. You know, it doesn't matter if you jump off the roof, it doesn't matter whether you're you're black or you're white, you're old or you're young, you're rich or you're poor, you're going to hit the ground. That's how it's going to work because it's a law. 
And universal law is exactly that, is that we can, we can say, well, I don't believe in the law of attraction and I don't believe in the law of cause and effect and I don't believe in the law of mentalism. Changes nothing. Mm. And all it does is that you push yourself back into that ignorance. He said, if you start to look at it, it's one of these problems where you, the old masters used to say about going to the mountains, you know, go to the mountains for practice. And that's part of it. The big part of it is when you stand in nature, you cannot avoid seeing it everywhere. He said, you are seeing that process uh, everywhere. You're seeing um, the idea of how we interact. If you can still your mind, the law of mentalism is very simple. You start to realize that what you're looking at is not what you're looking at. Mm. Is that things are happening. You look at um, like a mountain is a good example. Mountain is a symbol of stillness. And yet if you've ever been on one, you realize they're really not. They're mm. constantly in motion. They're, they're degrading. It adds nothing else. They are breaking down. He said those beautiful tall mountains that we see are in a process of decay and they will eventually become the next valleys. And on a mountain, you're seeing the wind is interacting. You're seeing the, the animals that live upon it. The, the wind, uh, yeah, the wind is blowing. The rain is hitting it. The sun is on one side. It's heating. It's cooling. It said you are watching all of this dynamic movement of energy. And, and yes, yeah, the symbol of, of stillness because it's stillness. It's stillness when you're away from it. When you're further away and you look at it, it looks very still. Right. If you're further away from it, you look at it. The ocean looks like it's moving. <laughs> it's it's cool because the other one's obviously moving, but they're very similar. And um, so the thing about universal law is that if you stand in nature, you can see it everywhere. But if you don't know what you're looking at, it's just stuff, and you're looking at stuff, you know. And um, I suppose, like, if you're going to look at it from your spiritual practice. The easiest thing, if I was to give you one thing now to say, right, this will change your life. This will absolutely change your life in any circumstance. It is the law of cause and effect. On paper, it's very simple. Is that every cause has effects. And if there's an effect, there must be a cause. Wonderful. That's, that's how it's written, you know, and you go, yep, there it is. Beautiful. But it doesn't tell you what to do with it. Right? So the fundamental of cause and effect is, does it piss you off? If it pisses you off, you're in effect of it. Because when you're cause, you don't you're not frustrated. It's you're that easy. I mean it's that simple, mm. right, isn't it? Yeah. Simple, not easy. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So and that's what we do. So if you're in a situation, uh, I used to work um I just recently finished up those five years working um, in a facility that was purpose built for long-term vulnerable homeless. And it's a, it was an amazing job and we were doing support work and then management and then more support work and so mm. forth. But it's incredible because in those environments, as you can imagine, it said you, you get to see it put out in front of you in such extreme forms mm. because you're dealing with high levels of addiction and mental health and poverty consciousness and, all of those things, and you're trying to interact with it. And when I was working with the team, when I was in a management role, um, working with the team, and it would be constantly that thing, is that support workers would be frustrated because, of course you are, you're watching some of the most insane, stupid decisions you've ever seen in your entire life. 
And they're the same decisions you're making. They're just made with more enthusiasm. And um, so they're having bigger effect. And um, so you, you, you're working with it, but people get upset. And all you have to do is turn around to say, right, okay. So you're frustrated by this? Yes. That person cannot make a good decision to save their life. We know that because that's how they got here. Mm. you're supposed to be helping them make good decisions. Mm. So why have you given them all the power? Mm. Why, as a support worker, are you listening to them mm. from the point of view of they're telling you how to support, like they're telling you what you need to do? No, no, you need to be listening to what they want, but you need to be telling them how to get there because they've never been there. Mm. They don't know where they're going. They're just insisting on driving. So you're an effect of them. So you've got to get yourself in a cause position. So if you're in business, if you've got staff, if you've got an employee, and this is a very, good, very blunt side of it, but this is for anybody who owns their own business will know this one or any manager will know this one, is that it is a proper and healthy dynamic that the employee is in effect of the employer. It is important that the employer creates that, that effect where they can be cause over their role that they can be fulfilled in their role and it can be an amazing growth opportunity, but they shouldn't be managing up. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Yeah. If yes. you're managing up in your job, that means your cause, their effect. Mm. It should be the other way around because you don't feel safe in your job if you have to manage up. Mm. Don't feel stable. Yeah. Okay. This is, and this is householder practice. This is household practice because it's like, it's okay to be sitting on my cushion and feeling really safe and comfortable and still. Mm. And then I go to my job and then I come home and it's like, you know, you, you bust out the case of wine and, <laughs> and away you go. And it's like, oh, time to meditate. I've had a few wines, now I can meditate. It's, it's, mm. not, it's not how it works. Mm. Said it, it's in that moment where you're talking to that annoying employer or that annoying client or that annoying whatever where you're going, this is the practice mm. right now. Right now, I have the ability to reach into my, my own spiritual accomplishment and, and become safe, become still. And from that, me as a soul and spirit and consciousness in communication can see that in you. Mm. And if I, if I can do that, then you can see that in you and now suddenly we're both cause and we're both experiencing effects and then we have this dynamic harmony that happens and everything upgrades. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about in like relationships, especially? <laughs> <laughs> you might find this amazing that that is it's... usually the first question that gets asked about cause and effect. <laughs> totally, yeah. especially the cause and effect and especially that, feeling of like bitterness or pissed off and being like, oh, it's your fault. And it's like, well, you're causing me to feel like that. But is have I not set the right boundaries or have I not communicated clearly enough to know that this is the style in which I like to operate in or da-da-da-da? Are you not setting those like healthy expectations, like that, you know, dualism of the both of you to set that up? Or is it? Somebody's got to take the lead, though, don't they? Yeah, you're, yeah. No, you're triggering me. <laughs> yeah. So. Triggered. Well, um, 
Um, Sorry, I don't know if there was a question. I just need to frame this. Is that because of the lousy internet, I'm not in my office, I'm actually in the study and my wife is like right there. <laughs> She's like, but I'm answer say correctly. Anyway, is, that, is that for men, one of the hardest things for men in relationships is that they're, they're, not, they're not smart by and large. They're not smart and they're not expected to be smart. And this is, this is part of the imbalance in the gender dynamic is that um, it's one of these things. A friend of mine put it beautifully. They said, like, um, it's like a problem is not a problem unless it's a problem for me. Mm. You know, that's, that's what en- entitlement is. That's what entitlement is. It's that it's not a problem unless it's a problem for me. Mm. So for men in relationships, often they get to sit comfortably in that quite ignorantly, they're in that blissful ignorance because everyone they talk to thinks the same. And that's because they're not talking to the women. Mm. <laughs> if they were talking to the women, then they would realise that it's not it's not as blissful as perhaps they were led to be believed. <laughs> so and, yeah. you know, and it, it's brought into, it gets us into this idea, well, we, we'll look at the law of gender for a minute, right? So... Gender is gender and um, correspondence or duality are very different. So you have a law of duality which talks about that essentially there are things that are in opposition to each other that are even and they balance. And then you have gender, which is that there are masculine and feminine forces that work together. Mm. And so those two laws are completely opposite in the way they're applied. They're very similar on paper but the way they're applied is different. So the idea of masculine feminine energy in a relationship, because a relationship is a created thing. So if you have a created thing, it's it was a nothing, energetic agreement, you decided to create something, and then you feed energy into it to sustain it, mm. which is law of energy transmutation, right? Mm. Which you spoke about earlier, where you say there is, there is creation, there is stasis, and there is maintenance, and there is destruction. Mm. So we need to be understanding that in a relationship, okay, I'm getting frustrated. Well, is my frustration because that, well, I'll be, I'll be very direct about it, right? I'm frustrated with my husband, and the reason I'm frustrated with my husband is because I'm not feeling like he's doing what he should be doing. And that's usually the surface thought. And for the guys... The, sadly, the, the surface the surface thought is like ice cream, you know. Because <laughs> so, so, you hear him at work, right, and it'll just be literally once they start, it's like, no, nah, he just doesn't wipe down the benches. Um, <laughs> he'll just leave his cup in the sink and then won't put the cup in the dishwasher. I'm I'm I'll guilty of that. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and men women, don't even go there. No. You don't even entertain the idea of that. That's right. But, you know, the, that's the difference between the masculine and the feminine energy because the, the masculine energy is the energy of drive. It's the instigator of action. Mm. But the feminine energy is about stillness. And where it's, it's hard to, for people to get their head around it because the, the language is bad. Mm. People talk about feminine is passive. Masculine is active. And, but they don't understand that 
in the cultures that say, like, like in traditional Taoism and so forth, that's how they, they, they look at yin and yang. But they don't make it clear in the West that passive is 100%. So active is 100% energy. Passive is 100% energy. It's not 90 and 10. Mm. So when there's a, the feminine energy is not, it's passive in that it holds things still so that they can create. It's the power of gestation. That's what it is. Whereas the masculine energy is drive. It's it's action. It's impetus. It's like, yep, bang, let's get this going. And even down, you know, biologically, that's what happened. So the woman does all of this incredible work to get ready for the guy to go, mm. there's, there's a gamut right there. Bang, mm. conception. And then... It only just starts and everything in the woman's body changes and adapts and conforms to make that the optimum environment to create that child. Mm. And it keeps going, you know, like all the hormones change and everything changes. And whereas for men, they said it doesn't. They said it, it doesn't. And that's because the masculine energy versus the feminine energy. But we take into that that if... Uh, bit of a convoluted answer, the short answer is very short. It's that every time we get into effect of their lack of masculine energy and we, I think we, right, maybe you (laughs) step into, step into that masculine energy, what happens is you now force them into a passive position to which they are not accustomed to. So you push them into a position where you've now filled the space. So the way in which it needs to be done on one level is that instead of like, if you see that they're here, instead of doing that, what you need to do is you need to just keep gently drawing that back until they go, oh shit, and they move in. There's a vacuum that's created energetically. Mm. All right, that's, that's how you create the balance. And that way you meet in the middle. It's like, it's like a relationship that, mm. um, well, in a relationship, it's the idea about I'm giving 100%. Said you shouldn't. You should give 50. That was the you best advice you gave. <laughs> 50. Well, it's true because I think, and I, and I know we're getting to the end of time, but it was also too because as women we really have, you know, created this way of living, of um, really forging into that masculine energy. And we forgot about, well, we've never taught how to be women, I think. Our mothers didn't know teach us how to be women. And mm. we've come in with this ideal of really having to step in to be the, to, to masculine, to, you know, forge our careers ahead and yeah. to be the drivers. But in that, we've lost the ability of actually being able to step back into mm. the feminine or even know how to cultivate that. Because mm. sometimes yeah. stepping into that energy, we sort of take on the like fixer mindset. We're like, oh, I just want to fix things for everyone else and want to make everything, you know, easy and da da I just want to fix things. But then it doesn't necessarily always allow space for that like softening mm. and for them to like, like men to step up to that because um, you kind of just want to get in and fix I'll, I'll yeah, tell you a great great. example of, of this, this, the best example I've ever seen of, of this um, energy dynamic being worked. And it was something I saw on YouTube and it was a woman just saying, it was like, this is how I approach guys. 
And she said, I walk up to them and uh, she'll find a guy that she likes. She'll walk up to him and she'll say, she'll have a handbag and she'll say, oh, can you please hold my coat while I get this out of my bag? And then while she's rummaging in a bag, she starts talking to him about different things. It's like, oh, you know, it's like that. She's automatically put him straight into the masculine energy because she's given him something to do, right? (laughs) He understands that, right? Because masculine energy in itself, like uh, when we get it into the genetics, is that it's protection and providing. Mm. We have to protect, we have to provide. That's what we're built for. We are physically built for it. Mm. And the problem that we, we don't have and haven't had for quite a long time, really, is that when we were physically put together, is that if there's a rustle in the bushes and something's going to threaten the, the tribal unit, it is the male that is expected mm. to throw himself in the way. That's his function because mm. that protects the future because the women and, and the children are the future. So that's what they're built for. But because we haven't had to do that for a long time, generations upon generations, really. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of men are very lost in, in what it is to be a man mm. because they've got the genetic, they're built for a function they don't even know exists. So, so this woman was very, very kind of because what she did is she walked straight up. She said, there you go. So can you do this for me? Sure, no worries. He's not thinking. He's not thinking at all. He's just holding a coat. And then she's talking to him. And next thing you know, he's talking to her. He hasn't realized that um, she completely controlled that situation by using feminine energy to drag him directly into his masculine. There you go. There you go, girls. All right, ladies. <laughs> That's the Instead ultimate. of having to go out to the pub, all right, you just need to walk up to some I'm man on the street. There you go. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I think, and I, you know what, I think it would be really, it would be great even just to offer a course, Jason, um, for mm. that of, you know, teaching men how to step back into to the masculine mm. because... Mm. Things have changed so much um, for both the women and the men. And I've had to come back to, you know, thanks to you, it's been a, you know, it's been an unlearning, an unlearning to relearn. And, you know, and that has changed the dynamic um, of our relationship, Gus and our relationship um, and teaching me to step back more Um which I've appreciated because it is, it's like we get an opportunity and we've worked through a lot of stuff. We get an opportunity, you know, everything requires work, but we've had to, you know, it's given us an opportunity to really see each other and work in a dynamic that's become mm. harmonious. Um, mm. Not that it wasn't unharmonious before, but, you know, like every relationship has its ups and downs. Totally. But, um, yeah, yeah, to really work through that uh, in a conscious way too. Mm. That's that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. It's the it's the conscious. It's a relationships. We're sort of taught that relationships are something that you do, mm. and it's not like it's a skill. So any, it's a skill to have a good relationship. It is, you know, and and um, and any skill requires work. You've got to have sound principles, and then you've got to work them. Mm. You've got to really, you know, really work them, and. It's hard and, and you're working with that and, and it's part of, I suppose it's that, that universal law thing is that you see it in nature all the time. <laughs> it's that if you're looking at it, you see it right there. You see that, that interaction between this force and that force and passive and active and, and 
how how um, something being passive doesn't mean it's weak. Mm. It's the complete opposite. So the it's um, like even in martial arts sense of things, it said the active techniques like the punches and the kicks and the you know the hard strikes. He said they do a lot of damage, but they do no damage by comparison to the passive techniques. Mm. He said the passive technique will make you fall over yourself and your entire body weight will land on your face on the ground at full sprint. Mm. That nobody can punch you that hard. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's just the reality. It's the reality between that, like understanding that, that passive energy is not weak energy. Mm. It's immensely strong, but it's, it's subtle and, and it's, um, it works completely differently. You know, mm. and it, even in the workplace, if you create that in the workplace, mm. it said being able to balance it because the workplace in the West has always been around masculine energy. It's like you've got to push, you've got to get to the top, you've got to make stuff happen, you know, and instead of going, but what if we set up a business where we could hold it still? Mm. And, um, and it's a whole different kind of energy. And, uh, and it's as attractive. Mm. You know, you don't. It's like marketing. You, you know, I mean, well, Mandy, you would know about my my marketing yes. is. I don't have any. No. I sit in meditation. I hold a vibrational frequency, yeah. and I focus upon how to be of valued service, mm. and I just let that resonance work. And my phone rings, mm. and that's how it works. Wow. And yeah. And it's, that's it's been, easy. and I guess that's what's been incredible is to learn is to learn all these different techniques and everything, you know. At the end of the day, does come back to a resonance and a vibration, and it's like learning to hold, like like you've taught me, of like being in the tension of being able to hold that tension, but with that resonance of then whatever that vision is. Um, and I think you know, it's like you were saying before, it comes back to I guess thinking about back to your dad um, in that, you know, when we take the time to be in stillness is that that teaches us, you know, observation of, you know, if we're feeling out of sorts really to go back and step into nature and just Mm. to observe all those elements because within that what is out is also within Mm. that that then gives us, can give us that perspective again of like, okay, where do I need to, or just coming back into self and asking those questions of what it is that do I need to change or what am I what am I resisting here, what am I pushing? Um, and just to be, to come back to that place of observation rather than being in that space of always doing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's where your power is. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the that's feminine. The feminine. Power right there. Yeah, that's the feminine power right there. Yeah, yeah. And I think I don't know if you're across the um, the concept of like human design, but there's five different uh, like energy types, and mine is called the projector. And our task is to be the observer. Like we're apparently the birds that sit on the tree and watch everything else. And I feel like the more that I sort of lean into that, the more that things naturally just flow. Um, and, yeah, it feels, I don't know, it's just the way that you're sort of designed. Um, and when you get into that natural that natural kind of state, you realise that when you force things like 
it doesn't always make it happen, but we're not taught that. We're taught to like strive to the next thing, go get this, like be a girl boss and go get it. And it sort of goes against those laws of like nature. natural laws. Yeah. 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 And it does. Mm-hmm. And Cause it's and a, effect. Um, Where it's am a, I yeah, it's an astonishing thing. And, it, and it, it plays out. And sadly, what it does is it plays out in our bodies. Mm. And we see it, you know, it's, it's, I always remember when, um, I remember when I was younger where things changed, where they deregulated the banks, where uh, the, the divorce, the laws changed around divorce, where women could get divorced and were entitled to compensation. God. They were entitled to, to money from their marriage. Mm. And, um, and then what happened was the dynamic changed very quickly. And, um, but what happened was women then stepped into more masculine roles and then you get down the track 20 years and they've got very similar health outcomes mm-hmm. to what men in those roles have. They said women that had lower rates of heart disease suddenly had similar rates of heart disease and various kinds of cancers and they're getting the same kinds of cancers. And mm-hmm. it's all of those things where is that um, like illness is, well, I always think, I always think about, um, there was a cartoon, uh, a cartoon called The Tick and he's giving a speech at a funeral and he says, he said, um, uh, death, it's life's way of saying, slow down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, that's illness, isn't it? Literally. It is. Yeah. yeah. Dis-ease. It's yeah. all about coming, it is, it's finding that balance, isn't it? Like you were saying, the dynamic between the harmonious and coming back to that balance and then knowing where those where when the time is to pull back and when the time to is to be in action mm. and That's to right. and to live you know and to know that when we're in cause and when we're in effect and what our role is in that as well and so many mm. so many incredible just pearls of wisdom today oh completely i feel like i want to just write across my hand cause and effect like are you in cause <laughs> or effect just a reminder. <laughs> and what was it? Was con- it was conscious disciple? Conscientious. Conscientious. Conscientious disciple. disciple. Yes. Yeah. Coming yeah. back to ourselves mm. in that, that choice and having choice. Yeah. 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 That that was an amazing, amazing chat. I really. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for being a part of um, this conversation and hopefully um you know we can get you on again i feel like we could chat to you for ages there's always more layers um but yeah it's been a really insightful conversation and i know we really loved it and our community's gonna love it and yeah it's just learning how to be a good human a better human (laughs) at the end of the day yeah that's it at the end of the day Mm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Totally. And hopefully we can live hopefully we can learn from our mm. experiences as well. Mm. Right? Um that then can create a greater awareness within ourselves and level of consciousness. Mm. And I guess I think you know for me working with you over the last few months and thank you to beautiful Jess for our introduction uh, to yeah. you. Um, it's actually wonderful to be able to put a face behind your voice. It's like, 
got my call with Jason this week, never seen you, but just like a total trust. Mm. Um, and just in terms of like being able to give advice, we'll be able to give direction and mentorship in real time. And I think that's what's been amazing of being able to put life experience and then take these principles and laws of nature and to be able to apply that in real time in a householder environment has you know you can have the gabby bernstein books guys but i've got to tell you right they don't actually give you the secret okay (laughs) jason has the secret (laughs) i was like jason you could be writing a million dollar books right i mean you could you'd be a bestseller (laughs) uh so i'm not going to give you the secret today guys so um you'll have to find we will share jason's details and um his email address i guess and then also to once you've got your website up and running and you're actually out in the world you're already out in the world now but um people will be able to find you and you'll be running courses uh, soon and he's going to be running an amazing one of actually teaching you how to ground properly um I gave Jason my grounding practice and he was like, yeah, it's okay. It's, mm. but, but it's not really grounding and has taught me the technique how to actually mm. ground properly and it's been an incredible change even into my meditation practice. So we'll let you know when that course is running. Oh, my gosh, yes, please. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's very kind. I, I really, I've really loved it today and it's, it's lovely that you invited me on. Yeah. So, oh. Very grateful. Thank, Thank you. you. You're the well. you're the master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Yeah. Um, and I think it, yeah, it's been wonderful. So thank yeah, you. Thank you again. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.